So we're going to be uh, doing part two of the book, and uh, the, the series is uh, God's at War, and we're in the part two section, and tonight we're going to be talking about, well, the introduction will be the temples of pleasure, and the first one we're going to talk about is food, and how that can become a God in our lives. There are gods at war within each of us. They battle for the throne of our hearts, and much is at stake. For whichever God is victorious, wins control over us, and ultimately determines our destiny. This is why idolatry is the most discussed problem in the entire Bible. Now, it may not seem that relevant to us, but the truth is, behind every sin struggle that you have and I have, is a false God that is winning the war in our hearts. Until that God is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, we will not have victory. Some of the most difficult gods to defeat are what I would call the gods of pleasure. We are surrounded by their influence. If you had to identify a mantra for our culture, I think you'd have to give serious consideration to this. If it feels good, do it. If you have an itch, scratch it. If you have an appetite, feed it. If you have a passion, fulfill it. So which of these gods of pleasure do you turn to? What gods do you worship in hopes of satisfying your physical desires? Sexual pleasure, I suppose, may be the most obvious example. Sex is the most searched for word on the internet. Most of those searches occur between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. during working hours. Americans spend more money on pornography than rock music and country music and jazz music and classical music all put together. This God of pleasure has destroyed many lives, marriages, and families. It promises satisfaction, but it often leads to slavery. If sex is the most obvious example of a God of pleasure, then food may be the most literal example. This year, Americans will likely fork over more than $110 billion on fast food. That's more money than they'll spend on movies, books, magazines, newspapers, videos, and recorded music combined. According to the American Center for Disease Control, 68% of Americans are now over, overweight, and one-third of Americans are obese. But the truth is, weight really doesn't tell the story of this struggle. Just because you have an especially high metabolism doesn't mean food isn't a god. When it comes to these gods of pleasure, whether it's food or sex or something else. One of the reasons they are so difficult to spot are these false gods begin as gifts from the Lord God. But when a gift from God takes his place, it's only a matter of time until destruction follows. I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised there. I have a very small family. I'm, I'm an only child. My mom is an only child. Uh, my dad was an over-the-road truck driver, and uh, his trips got longer and longer and longer until one day he never came back. I was about, about eight or nine years old, so I was my mom's entire world. My mom's from a, a country family, and food was thought about as wasn't really thought about. You know, it was one of those things, if it feels good, you just sort of do it. And 
was all about enjoyment. There was no discussion about nutrition. There was none of that kind of thing. I was pretty overweight, and I would come home every day, and when I got there, my mom would have some kind of food fixed. I don't care what it was, but it made everything okay. At the time, I just knew I was terrified and miserable, and I wanted somebody to make it okay. And my mom did the only thing she knew to do, which was to feed me, because I think that's all that had ever really been done for her. When boys grow up with their moms, and there's no dad there, and that boy is the center of his mom's attention, and vice versa, that there comes a time when the two separate, that tearing away that happens can be pretty violent. That was our experience. I did not want her in my life, and she could see me going a direction that she didn't understand and, and couldn't explain. And I don't know that I could either at the time. I was looking back on it, clearly on a path of some sort of self-destruction. But I was desperate to correct something, to fit in somewhere, to, to matter to somebody besides my mom. And whatever group would take me, that's where I'd, that's where I'd go. So I'm in Alabama, living with my fiance's family, and um, her stepdad, his name was Bill. The more he talked about what Jesus was to him, the more it was something that I knew I needed. And I remember praying, um, and I remember talking to Jesus, and I said, you know, I don't even really know who you are, but I know that I am as lost as a person can be. And if there's anything you can do about that, um, I need it. When life is hard, when things start to fall apart, where do you turn? Where you go for comfort has a way of revealing what is most important to you. So after a stressful day at work, the boss is always on your case. Do you come home, open the door, and look in the fridge for a little comfort food? Or when you experience disappointment because you didn't get the promotion, do you stop by for a six-pack before heading on your way home? If the breakup is painful, do you go shopping knowing that if you buy something, you'll feel better? Or when you get some tough financial news, do you relieve the anxiety by logging on to a pornographic website? See, where we turn for comfort and peace reveals where we have put our hope. In Philippians 4, Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, to go to God in our time of need. When going to Him is a last resort instead of a first response, it tends to reveal that something else or someone else is winning the war for our hearts. So, in a year's time, I'm getting kicked out of my mom's house, moved away from home for the first time, became a Christian, got married and divorced. My only friends and family were her friends and family. And here I sat in an empty apartment, completely estranged from my own family, and lost again, and didn't know what to do. So I turned to a very familiar lover. And food had literally become what John Eldridge calls a counterfeit lover, who promised so much. And in that moment seemed to deliver, really. I did feel better. You know, when the food hit my mouth, there was just, it was almost ecstasy. It wasn't almost, it literally was. It was a counterfeit lover. Right around 1990 or so, um, 
I had a sense that God was calling me into the ministry. And I very quickly learned that as a divorced Southern Baptist, my options were pretty limited. It was like one door after another was slammed in my face. I was divorced, scarred, end of story. And I could not do anything about it. I was coming up against something I could not manipulate, probably for the first time. And I didn't know how to deal with how I felt, but I knew how to feel good. And so I would eat. The more rejection I had, the more I would eat. And this continued for years. I had a plan of how things needed to go. Um, and I needed God to come along and bless that so that things would work the way they needed to work. Yet that was not happening. And so I would just stuff all of that anger, all of that frustration, all of that anxiety, and feed it with food. Each time I would encounter a situation like that, more and more anger, more and more bitterness, the bigger I got. God clearly wasn't going to come through for me. I'd waited and waited and waited 13 years. That was long enough. I'd had enough. I was going to do things on my own. Here was my plan. It was perfect. Um, I would just get a job, any old job anywhere, and volunteer through the counseling ministry at church. I was literally there for three days. And I don't know if I've yet been able to find words to describe what I went through. Um, but I had such overwhelming panic and anxiety like I never really thought possible. My heart would race, couldn't breathe, I would sweat, I would get tunnel vision, I would get dizzy. Well, I thought I was dying. And I remember thinking, this must be what it's like when people lose their mind. When we make pleasure a God, it's only a matter of time until it leads to a path of destruction. And so David and Bathsheba have an affair. Her husband winds up murdered in the cover-up. Samson can't stay away from Delilah. He loses his strength. He winds up captured by his enemies. Noah gets drunk and humiliates himself in front of his family. When you worship the gods of pleasure, eventually they will lead you to a place where you say, how did it come to this? They will always take you further than you want to go, and the gods of pleasure will demand more than you imagined you would ever pay. There's a scene in the Old Testament where these false prophets of this idol called Baal begin to cut themselves, and they bleed trying to get the attention of this false god. And we think, that is ridiculous. How primitive to bleed for what is obviously a false idol. But most of us, most of us have bled. We have sacrificed a great deal in hopes of appeasing these gods of pleasure, holding out hope that somehow they would respond. But instead of saving us, these gods only reveal our need for the true Savior. God had become some commodity for me that I needed to secure or manipulate or pursue, conquer. Um, I had a plan of how things needed to go that he was not getting on board with. And he let me do that for 13 years until it came falling apart right in front of me. I was eating somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12,000 calories a day. And the health problems I had, diabetes, high cholesterol, sleep apnea. I was on at one point 10 different medications just to keep me functioning. And I can remember sitting in that empty apartment, eating literally until I vomited on more than one occasion. 
I was looking in the mirror, and I, again, crying. My emotions were just out of control. And I, I said some words that were along the lines of, God, I, 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 I don't know what to do anymore. I just, I, I quit. I just quit. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear in my spirit. I heard God say, finally. I have been waiting for 13 years to hear you say, I quit. Because you don't have to do anything. You've never had to do anything. I want to do this, but you will not let me. So why won't you just quit? And if you're really ready to let me lead in your life, I will. But I need you to let go. And in that moment, I had no choice. I was broken. And that's what it took to get me there. And so I let go. Sometimes it's really hard to let go. I was reading a story to one of my daughters about this young girl who walked into a department store and she saw this cheap imitation set of pearls, but immediately she fell in love with it. It cost about 10 bucks and she saved her money until she finally had enough. And once she had those pearls, she wore them everywhere. No one could get them off of her. One day, her dad went into her room and said, Jenny, do you love me? Do you trust me? She said that she did. He said, then give me your pearls. She said, Dad, you can have my favorite toy, but you can't have my pearls. The next day, he came in and said the same thing. This time, she said, you can have my favorite doll, but you can't have my pearls. Finally, on the third day, she came to her dad and with tears in her eyes. She said, Daddy, you can have my pearls. And when she did that, the father reached into his pocket and pulled out a velvet case with a genuine pearl necklace inside. See, he was waiting for her to let go of the imitation so he could give her the real thing. The gods of pleasure are a cheap imitation that must be let go of for us to receive what God the Father wants to give us. In Psalm 107, it reflects back on the Israelites worshiping a golden image while Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. And Psalm 107 says, they made a calf at Mount Horeb and they worshiped a calf's image. And then it says this, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. That's just not a good trade. I guess I'm wondering, though, have you exchanged the peace of God for the comfort of food? Have you exchanged the satisfaction of Christ for the pleasure of sex? It's just not a good trade. And it's time to let go. And with both arms, embrace Jesus as the only one who saves. And very slowly and very systematically, but very deliberately, God began to put me together again from the inside out. And I can remember during these, these days feeling like still emotional and confused and I would turn to food and it literally did not have a flavor. It was almost, scripture talks about to a full man even honey tastes bitter. It was kind of like that. It had lost its, its luster. And I thought, well, great. <laughs> now what? <laughs> It was no longer 
had the power for me. And, and, I, and there were times, and even still today, there are times that I try to turn to it and it's just, it's hollow. It's just completely hollow. As all this was sort of sorting itself out, I noticed that my clothes were fitting differently. Losing weight or anything like that was nowhere on my radar. What was on my radar was taking my next breath and figuring out how to live my life now. I had to come to terms with all of that stuff that I had been stuffing and trying to comfort with food. I guess what I've finally learned is that God is not ultimately interested in my comfort. He's interested in my healing. And those things that I was doing, turning to food to feel better in the moment, rather than turning to Him for the ultimate healing of my heart, which is what I needed, it kept me from becoming who it was that God always intended me to be. I started seeking things out that were hard to do on purpose. Um, and I found that, that God works that way in my life a lot. And so the furthest I'd ever ran was to the refrigerator. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to be a runner. And I started running and uh, ran uh, the mini marathon in 2008 here in Louisville all the races that led up to it. Once I did that, I thought, well, maybe I can run a full marathon. So I trained for a full marathon and ran the Marine Corps Marathon later that year. Uh, did not finish first, but I did not finish last, which was very important. <laughs> I've since become a fitness instructor at church. I've taught uh, boot camp classes. I teach classes on nutrition and fitness. For years, I knew God had called me into the ministry. I did not know he was calling a 435 pound man into the fitness ministry, however, <laughs> which is just crazy. Only God would do something like that. Until I took food out of its place in my life and put Jesus where he belonged, um, nothing made sense. Now it does. Let me ask you, how many times have you flicked a false god of pleasure off the throne of your heart only to find that the next month or the next week or the next day, it's back? And so we stuff ourselves and promise never again. We log off a pornographic website and promise this is the last time. But before long, the desire returns and with it, this god of pleasure that promises satisfaction. The mistake we make is that we put all of our focus on removing the false god when it must be replaced. It's not enough just to get rid of it, but we must replace the false god with a greater and deeper affection for the one true god. And when you worship the one true god with all of your heart, there is no greater pleasure. And this is why you were made. And so the way we rid ourselves from these gods of pleasure is by replacing them with this one great pleasure. And when God becomes your greatest pleasure, then you will find freedom and you will discover what you've really wanted all along. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, God made food.
God made food to sustain us. God's food is good. But as we saw in the video, the desire for comfort, the seeking of pleasure, the trying to fulfill ourselves with things of this earth can lead to some real problems like it did for this young man. Did anyone find uh, that story, you know, kind of speaking to you? Maybe not just on food, but just on something you're struggling with and something you're trying to find peace in your life with. It did for me. I mean, it was eye-opening to me just how many people are, are spending so much time and energy trying to find happiness in things that they're going to have to, tomorrow, try to find happiness in again. That's kind of the problem with food is that, you know, food can even be a god if you're a health nut. There are people that spend a lot of money at the whole paycheck store buying all the healthy foods and they're worshiping the god of the physique. You know, if I eat healthy, then, then I'll be happy, you know. So we've got to be careful in, in our lives that food for us doesn't become a problem. And in America, trust me, Food is everywhere. As he said in the video, uh, we in America spend $110 billion on fast food every year. That's more than we spend on movies or books or magazines or videos altogether. So food is a very big deal. But unfortunately, um, as we saw in the video, if your whole life is focused around the food then you're relying on the wrong thing to find your comfort. Have any of you ever eaten at the Cheesecake Factory? He had an example in the book, which I thought was pretty good, because I've been to the Cheesecake Factory. Their menu has got to be 20-some pages, and it's just page after page of, you know, really good-looking food. (laughs) But the problem is, I mean, it's like, what is enough, right? When God created food... He also created us with taste buds. We have over 10,000 taste buds because God wants us to experience taste. And in and of themselves, all of these things, all of these foods, all these flavors are not necessarily bad. It's just that when we are so passionate about pursuing them that they become more important to us than the place God has in our hearts. I mean, God could have created food to be something that looked like a bar of soap and tasted not much better, and it would have sustained us perhaps. But that wouldn't have been a very good existence. And our God's not that type of a God. He wanted his children to have happiness. He wants us to enjoy food. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever just tried to have, uh, you know, like an indulgence on food? Think of times like maybe like Christmas parties. I think of things like that. Or sometimes Thanksgiving going over to my mom's where you know you're going to get stuffed, Right? And then, that on an occasion maybe not be necessarily bad, but if, if that becomes more your norm, because like I was thinking the other day, if you go out to dinner and you're spending money on a good dinner, that's okay, but have you noticed the portions when you go to restaurants are almost like double the size that a human really needs? Jamie and I in our retirement, especially because money's a little tighter, uh, we'll take our food that we get and make a second meal out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I guess, you know, in our society, the portions are too large. And, and if you go to a restaurant, then I guess my question is, I, I was thinking to myself, 
am I also doing something for the poor? Am I also doing something, as Jesus said, when you did this to the least of these, you did this to me? So my caution for us is that if we, if we do enjoy some good and God has blessed us with the resources to go to dinner, that's okay. But don't let that become so important to you that you turn your back on the, the needs. Um, there are orphanages around the, the globe that are just barely getting by. Uh, my brother was here this last week and he's helped with a lot of orphanages in Africa where you know, those children are dependent on the donations from people like you and me. And we have the means. So I guess my point is, when food becomes a God, I guess it would become a God to me if I am consuming those good things, those good gifts from God, and not thinking about others who have less. Any thoughts on that? The other thing the book said I thought was interesting was that... uh, the average American consumes two to three pounds of sugar a week. A week. A century ago, the average American consumed about five pounds of sugar per year. So the other problem in our society is that because this is so plentiful and there's so much that you can have, we're not that healthy. And it's affecting our health. And when our eating starts affecting our health, I think reasonable people would say, you know what, that's not what God intended for me to do. God intended for us to be able to have meals and eat our, you know, eat our food with gratitude, but I don't think God intended for us to eat like this young man did uh, to the point of becoming 400 pounds. And, you know, he was basically kind of committing a slow suicide with his health, with his tension, with uh, the stress he was under. And and uh, just getting worse and worse for him, but the food was actually killing him. That God that he was worshiping was actually bringing him down. And sometimes it takes, you know, really getting to that point where you have the diabetes or high cholesterol or blood pressure problems or sleep apnea or all, all of the above to, to figure out that, oh, maybe I need to make a change. And I found the interesting thing about his story was that it was only when he got to his lowest point that he gave up and he replaced the food as the center of his attention with God being the center of his attention. And the book makes it very clear um, that we should be seeking spiritual food, a different kind of food. In the book it talks about the, uh, the story in John 6 where Jesus fed the 5,000. We just had that in the Sunday morning Bible class for most of us who've been in that class. And it said in that that story that they ate until they were filled and there was leftovers. But Christ was trying to get them to see that it's not about me fulfilling your daily need for food. Listen to what I'm trying to say. And, And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.25, he said, is not life more than food? You know, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, took the time to divorce himself from food and and go into a fasting time. And he did that for the purpose of purifying his, his body and just being willing to listen to God and not worrying about his physical needs and, and his uh, hunger. And, yeah. Just a, just a thought on that of John and the feeding 5,000. Yeah. When he's picked up, you know, he says, you get 12 baskets. 
and people say, well, that's just for his disciples. But we think of, when we think of baskets, we think of baskets. But the, the Greek word that was used there is like a lunch bag. Mm. So there, there's, there's where we, we misinterpret. And when, in our minds, in our imaginations, we see baskets when Jesus is saying, have a lunch and keep working. Right, and if you go further into that story, I think it's uh, John six twenty seven. You know, they found him the next day. But again, they were there because they were seeking him to be a leader. They were seeking for him to fulfill their need for food this day. And, and he said, uh, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You know, Jesus was pretty clear on the place of spiritual food being at a higher level and more important than your physical needs. In fact, he basically assures us that he will take care of our physical needs if we will follow him. So Jesus is the focus that we need to have. Um, and I wonder, in the book has an interesting thought in here, um, I wonder if we pursued spiritual food with the same passion that we pursue, you know, our earthly food. Wow, wouldn't we be pretty spectacular Christians, I think. Um, we've got to have that passion for the good food, the spiritual food that, that is going to lead us to Jesus. And, uh, you know, the, the section of the book that we're going into, it's not just food that can be something that distracts us. It can be all of the other things that we're going to go into these next lessons. But, but it is possible for something as simple and as good as food to become more important in our lives than God. And that's what we're trying to get away from. And that's what I want you to take away from tonight. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. You know, that's the place he was trying to get that 5,000 when he fed them to understand that he's talking about spiritual things. And there's only a place in our heart for God. And that, that spiritual relationship with God is the most important thing. When we have that, we will have the peace and all these other things will, uh, will, be, will become less important to us. Um, it's like... We need to put God in his proper place and food will start being in his proper place. And the book actually says, until you put God first in your life, then you cannot have any lasting uh, pleasure with food. It'll only be temporal. Um, we saw in the uh, story of the young man, uh, Paul, that he had his ups and downs, but in the end, when he gave up, when he said, God, I'm going to let go. God had a plan for him because God was able to come into his life to make changes. And he admitted in the video, some of those changes weren't easy. Just like for us, if we've been overeating for some time, some of the changes we may need to make might not be easy, but in the end, it's the best thing. And in his case, it led to better health. It led to better relationships within his church and within just his life. It led him to be a fitness instructor at his church. It led him to have a mission to be able to help people who had gone through similar things that he was going through. So God had a plan for him. One that, as you saw in the video, he kind of laughed at. Who would have thought a 400-pound guy would be 
part of God's plan to be, you know, an example and a fitness instructor at a church, but that's kind of where he's at in his life now. So basically, Paul Jones never knew the true pleasure of physical food until he replaced the physical food with the bread of life. And that's kind of the the theme and the message um, that I want to make sure I get across to you guys tonight. Uh, God cannot give us a full sense of lasting pleasure apart from him uh, because that violates his purpose in our design. You know, we're designed with the hole in our being that only God can fill. Food is just a temporary uh, false idol, God. And we're going to be seeking that again the next day and the next day and the next day. So the book wanted me to ask a couple of questions. Um, do you eat more for pleasure or for nourishment? You know, that's actually a fair question. I thought about that when I was preparing for this, and I, I got to be honest with you. It's kind of tempting in our society, or even in our homes, because we have a lot of food. If I walk by the pantry, it's pretty easy to look in there, and there's all kinds of good things in there. But you know what? I'm finding, especially in retirement, and especially uh, now kind of trying to fight a little bit of heart condition stuff and a little bit of weight stuff too, that I'm saying no to those temptations as I walk by. I keep walking because I've honestly eaten many times just for the sake that it's there, and I can. We need to get to the point in our lives um, that we're eating with purpose um, and that we're doing it to the glory of God. Um, if we're if we're just constantly grabbing stuff because we have it in our house, maybe we need to make some changes around our house and make things a little bit different so we're not as tempted. Beyond that, there's nothing wrong with food. It's just God does not want us to overindulge. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul explains, uh, instead of being an object of worship, what we eat can be an act of worship. Um, he wrote, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So think about that for a second. Uh, instead of uh, being an object of worship, in other words, I've got to have it because I see it, or food is good, or I love ice cream. By the way, I stopped eating ice cream a year ago too, and uh, I honestly feel a whole lot better having done so. So this was even a problem for me. But now, if we will have the right attitude when we do consume food that God has given us as a blessing, when we give him thanks for that and eat it gratefully, when it sustains us so that we can do his will in our life, there's nothing wrong with that. We can feel good about eating food in that sense and in that way. God just doesn't want us to overindulge. Let me ask a question about fasting. I will give you my personal example. Um, in the military, we have a thing called uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Pilots have to go through it in case you're captured by the enemy so that you know how to exist in a POW setting. And I remember going about a week. It was a full week training. And I remember being uh, the first day or two kind of just the lightheadedness and just kind of feeling a little achy and just low on energy. And after a day or two of that, you just kind of feel almost numb, but you keep going. And as you get toward the end of a week of not eating, which is the longest I've gone, 
And, and even then, that's not exactly accurate because we, we found two rattlesnakes and they exchanged those for two rabbits so for 50 guys. So I had some rabbit broth <laughs> halfway through. So, and it tastes pretty good halfway through. But uh, fasting should be for the purpose of communicating with God and taking distractions out of our way so that we can uh, pray, um, so that we can be close to God. And doing without food for a little bit of time was actually a good thing for me just to understand what the body goes through, but also just to appreciate how much God gives us And I will tell you, after we got off the bus, after we got liberated from the POW camp, um, it was awfully good to have a first taste of food again, good food, and uh, made me appreciate it a lot. But consider doing a fast every now and then and dedicate yourself to God for 24 hours even. If you're healthy enough and can do that. I mean, some people have medical issues that wouldn't necessarily be a good idea but but uh, fasting like Jesus did and clearing your mind and pre- being in prayer with God I think that would be a very powerful thing as well so in the video and hopefully in what I presented today um, the answer is not food Food is a false god. Jesus is the answer. He offers the true feast. He offers to fill our every need. David wrote in Psalms uh, 16.5, Lord, you alone are my portion, my cup. You You make my lot secure. If we chase after food as a god, we're going to constantly be chasing after it. As the author of the book said, all of these false gods will disappoint and they will bring pain in our lives if we pursue things that aren't the true God. Christ is the only one who can nourish our soul. He bids us to take and eat. He bids us to come to the living water. Ironically, we can only find our true meaning in Christ And when we do that, food will be restored to its proper place and God will be restored to his proper place. Any other thoughts on this lesson, on food as a false god, on any struggles we have with that? Richard. Well, it's interesting what Eddie was saying about Lent, you know, where you fast for a period of time and all that stuff. But the day before, at Mardi Gras, you just stuff yourself because you know you're... So what I love about the rest of you, what I, what I find is there's false justification that happens. Christmas is only once a year. Well, it's Thanksgiving. It's, it's only once a year. I have to have this pie. And, and it's Halloween. It's this, this, this long for a, a holiday like President's Day where there's no food associated with it. But it's a, it's a false justification. Like it's okay to do this a little bit more than I should because it's only once a year. And that's the lies that we share with Yeah, and I liked what the author said in the in the book about how 
if you just try to replace that or try to just do away with that false God, if you don't put God in its place, it's likely to come back or some other false God's likely to enter into the picture. And I will say that, you know, over the course of our lifetimes, we may be tempted by different things. I mean, it, it seems like younger in your life, sometimes career becomes too important and you make mistakes because of that. Um, at this age of life, you know, health concerns can become a, a real issue and you can almost become consumed with that. There's just different ways Satan's going after us. And the false gods that we're going to go through in this section of the book, the second part of the book, um, each and every one of them are going to leave you feeling disappointed and, uh, you know, sinful. I'm calling you, based on what I've read here and, and what we've talked about tonight, just don't let food become something that's a problem for you. Uh, eat your food with gladness. Be prayerful for everything that God has given you. Be mindful of others who have less and, and be willing to share. And then uh, I think food uh, will not be an idol to you. Any other thoughts from the, the group? Okay. Well, Alan will be back next week and we'll continue on in uh, section two, uh, The Gods of Pleasure. And thank you all for being here tonight. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.